Well, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today. We're finishing up chapter 4 in our Ephesians series. Um, we're going to be in verses 25 through 32. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and meet me there. And once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet if you're able. Chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. If you got it, say got it. All right. Starting in verse 25, the text reads, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of or one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Very words of God, amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, how to live a changed life. How to live a changed life. But before we go any further, let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. I am so grateful to be here with your church, God. Lord, I just pray a simple prayer that you would remove me, and God, that you would <clears throat> fill this place with your spirit. Decrease me, God, so that you may increase, have your way, and God, let your word fall afresh on your folks today. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said together, amen, and amen. You can be seated. Well, as we begin with these NBA playoffs, y'all, I got to retract my statement about LeBron I made a couple weeks ago. Hey, this brother has been the most consistent beast I've ever seen play the basketball game. Did y'all see that, that shot last night? Oh, my gosh. That was crazy. Oh, y'all hating. See, y'all still hating on him. Don't hate on LeBron. Uh, <laughs> but with these basketball playoffs, I've loved every moment. It's been exciting. But one thing I really love about the playoffs is I love when they start talking about the stories and the backgrounds of where these players have come from. Because when you look at these players, it's really easy to look at them and make assumptions without even knowing them or their background. We can look at people and we can make assumptions based off of what we see and we don't know them. So I love when they tell these stories because many of these guys come from broken homes, single parent households. I mean, if it hadn't been for somebody else in their life, somebody that has tr tremendously come alongside them, helped them out, whether it be a parent, a coach, a sibling, a friend, somebody has made a sacrifice for them. See, many of these people, these players, have people that have made sacrifices on their behalf because when these players started out, they were just players with potential. But because of someone else's sacrifice, somebody working alongside them, walking alongside them, it helps them get to stardom. And the thing I love about these stories 
Because as you hear about them, I love to hear when they, they talk about how it comes full circle. And how these players now, because of the sacrifices of other people on their behalf, they're now playing to their full potential in order to honor these people that gave up their lives for them, that, that sacrificed for them. So now, in turn, they give a lot of gifts back to those people that sacrificed for them. They're, they're giving to them. And, and in turn, what's happening is they're providing for them. You see, because they realize that without these folks and their sacrifices, there would be no them. But the problem is, most of us, if we're honest, we don't operate that way. We don't. I mean, some of you guys, you've probably heard some of the comments from Kanye West this week. We're going to talk about him a bit. I mean, his comments over the past week are outlandish and condescending, to say the least. I mean... And I got to talk about him because he's frankly forgotten what I just said. The sacrifice from someone else. Whenever you can say that 400 years of slavery was a choice, you forget the fact that although you do and say all the things you want, whether that be taking Taylor Swift's microphone out of her hand or rapping about what you want, saying what you want, do what you want, even making this outlandish comment. Look, hear me. None of those things are able to be done as crazy as they are if it had not been for people that have been chained to the, to the bottom of ships coming over here, locked in chains, and then went through 400 years of slavery, not by choice. He wouldn't be doing any of this mess. None of us get to where we are without someone else's sacrifice. And here's the point. When we get into this text this morning, a long time ago, God looked out and he saw his people. He saw his folks and he said, they have a lot of potential. They have a lot of potential, but they are not able to live to their full potential without someone's sacrifice. So what does he do? He, he looks out and he sends his son, Jesus. And Jesus comes down here and he dies as a sacrificial lamb for each one of us if we believe in order for us to live to our full potential. You see, so now we, if we believe, we live with eternity in sight. Living not like Kanye, but like those NBA players. In light, understanding, in light of, of our lives, it, we live knowing that somebody sacrifice before us so when we live in light of that sacrifice we try to honor God in all our ways living to our full potential and see this is exactly what is going on in this passage today see Paul is laying out how Christians should live in light of knowing all that God has done in and through Jesus Christ so as we enter this text this is what I want you to do I want you to remember that I want you to keep that in the forefront of your minds because our society, this is why I'm saying this, because it's very easy in our society to pay attention to the do's and don'ts of life. We can pay attention to the do's and don'ts. We can make a list of all the things we should stay away from, the things that we should do, the things that we shouldn't do. And, 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 and that's not the Christian walk. So we can do all those things and, and we can do all of it out of selfish ambition, trying to be the best we can be. And hear me, you hear me, friends. That's not true change. That's not true change. When we're working hard to do it our own, at best, you're a great performer or pretender. You're great at that because you got to keep on doing it. 
It's a never-ending will. And today, I want to walk through how Christians should live, but I want us to keep in mind all that we do, how we live our lives, is because of Christ's sacrifice for us, what he did on the cross. We live in light of that. Now, as we get into this text, by way of reminder, I want to help you guys catch up with us if you haven't been here for weeks or so uh, in this Rooted series. Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus that's made up of many different people, Gentiles and Jews alike. And in this letter, he opens up in the first three chapters explaining this mystery of salvation that through God's love, he pre-planned from the beginning of time a way of salvation through Jesus Christ. And this gift of salvation doesn't come by anything we bring to the table. It's not by our, the work of our hands or the sweat of our brow. It's not anything we bring to the table. It's in and through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And we, by that, we, we believe. It's, so it's through that. It's through his work and our faith that we're saved. And see, all of us that believe were once in constant rebellion against God. We were sinners, ignoring God's way and turning our own way, choosing to do our own thing, leading our own lives. We were all hopeless. Or as the old folk used to say, we were headed to hell in a handbasket. Some of y'all get that on the way home. Because our ways were not like God's. We were sinful, in constant rebellion, doing our own thing. We were not living in the way he's created us to be, in his image. So God, instead of looking down on us, because he, he could have looked at us and said, look, y'all are not living the way I want you to live. You're, you're not living up to the standards. I'm going to wipe all of you guys out. He had every right to do that, but he does not do that. He looks down and he's gracious. And what does he do? He sends his son. He sends his spirit first into the virgin of Mary, into her stomach, and out comes Jesus. God in the flesh grows from a baby to a grown man, lives the life that we should have lived without sin, unblemished, then dies the death that we should have died. He then goes to the grave and rises three days later with power in his hand, defeating sin and death. See, it's through that sacrifice that if we believe, we can have eternal life. And here in Ephesians, this book right here, Paul very plainly explains that gospel message. He's explaining the gospel message, but then he says that that same salvific plan is open to all people if they believe. Everyone, if you believe, that, that, that's open to everybody. He's revealing this new mystery, this mystery that now the Jew and the Gentile who are against each other can be one. There can be unity in Christ through faith. There's unity in Jesus. And believers are to suffer on behalf of other folks that are different than them. People that are unlike them working through our differences with each other, loving one another, not in an obligatory way, not because we're supposed to do it or you should do it, but instead because Christ did the same thing for us. He died for people that were sinful, people that were enemies of the cross, people that were enemies of his, and he gave it all up for us. And friends, remember that it's in that unity that unity we find in Christ, that the body works together and makes Jesus' name great. The divided have now become united in Christ. So in essence, Paul is saying now that you know the goodness of Jesus Christ, go and live it out. You know where unity comes from? Now go live it out amongst your peers. Go live it out amongst society. Go live it out. Go live out your faith. And see, with this bit of context, it helps us with our passage today because Paul 
is not only saying to believers to live out their faith, but he tells them now how to do it. Tony did a great job last week breaking it down, breaking down how what we look like before we come to Christ or encounter this true love and how that love now changes us specifically when we realize how lovely we are through Jesus Christ. See, it's through understanding the true gift of love displayed on the cross, Jesus' sacrifice, that changes us. And see, here's the thing, and I need y'all to hear me when I say this. It is honestly, utterly impossible to fully embrace the love of Jesus Christ in all of its fullness and not be changed. Let me say it again. It is utterly impossible to fully embrace the love of Jesus Christ in all of its fullness and not be changed. See, I, I venture to say that if you call yourself a believer, you call yourself saved, meaning you have felt the weight of your sin, your mess, but yet at the same time, how much you're loved, yet you're sinful, but yet loved. I mean, if you felt the weight of that mess, the dichotomy of God's love in the midst of our sin, they do not go together. When you feel the weight of that, it changes us. It changes us. And we're changed, hear me, in two different ways. There's two ways you're changed. One is, one is very active and one is very passive. It's active because we participate where the goodness of God, we recognize the goodness of God in our lives and it leads us to repentance. It leads us to repentance. It leads us to a place where we, we want to be better because he's been so good to us. I mean, it's pretty simple. So somebody, somebody does good by you, you want to really do good by them, right? That's pretty simple. You get that. Now, now, the second way is passive because as a believer, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is indwelling you. He's inside of you, and he's continually working from the inside out to conform you or transform you into the image of God, into the image that he created you in the beginning to be like him. It might not happen until we actually see him, but he's continually working inside of you. And what that means is that you can't possibly go back to your old ways without feeling a sense of conviction or grieving God. You ever felt either one of those ways? This active changing, this, this passive changing? I mean, it, it's something like this. You can be sitting at that bar. Some of y'all might have been there last night. You can sit at that bar and you're like, man, I had, I've had two, maybe three drinks. I know I shouldn't take this last drink. I really want it though. But if I take this last drink, I know that it's not gonna be honoring to God. I know that I'm not pleasing him. Or, or, or better yet, last night, you, you, you're, you're in that girl's room, it's late at night, or that guy's room, and you know you're not supposed to be there. You're like, man, I really want to be here, though. I really like him. I really like her. I want to be here in this room. It might even feel good to me to be in this room. Maybe you're at the computer screen. You know you shouldn't be there. You're like, I, I don't want to be here. I, I really do want to be here. You're going back and forth. You're at war. You're like, but it's, it's, it's not pleasing to God if I'm, I'm here. So, 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 so you leave. I mean, you know it's not pleasing. Or better yet, you're like, man, this person is getting on my nerves. They will not leave me alone. They keep saying this and that. I want to curse them out. But you know, if I do this, it's not pleasing to the Lord. But you really, really want to. You're tired of them. 
See, but you're actively choosing to please God in your actions because here's the thing, and it's not legalistic. The reason you're doing this, do not forget this. The reason you're actively choosing to please God is because he's been far too good to the believer in here not to want to please him. But sometimes we choose to do something anyway that we know is not pleasing to God. And we feel horrible afterwards. Feel horrible. That's conviction. It's coming in. And it comes not because you messed up, but because you wronged someone who has been so good to you. You see, in both cases, whether it be active or passive, we're changed because of knowing how loved we are. You see that? So, so hear me. As we begin living in this new self as Christians, it's not just passive in the sense that, that, that the spirit is working on the inside. He's working in me. It's also active, meaning that we need to work along with God through this process called sanctification. We need to endure the process. See, it's not I'm waiting on God to move in my life. It's prayer and action. It's faith and works. It's tilling the fields, getting ready for the rain that God is bringing. It's, it's pruning the tree so that new fruit can grow. It's like I said a couple weeks ago. Sometimes, y'all, we make our Christian walks way too spiritual. We get rid of all human responsibility. We throw it out the door. Now hear me. Humans are not responsible for salvation as far as it, when it comes to justification, being seen right in God's eyes. No, no, no. Jesus did that on the cross. So anything you're trying to work for, trying to, trying to prove your, your worth to God, trying to work for your salvation, you're actually just hanging Jesus back on the cross. Because that, that's the only thing, that's the only place where we're seen worthy is in Jesus' work on the cross. He did that already. He proved you worthy. So when God looks down at, at us, he's seeing Jesus, the blood of Jesus cloaked over us, and he's saying, well done. So it's not your works, it's Jesus' works. But when it comes to living out that faith, that sanctification process, the actual walking with Christ after we believe, that takes belief and action. James tells us faith without works is dead. Christians are saved by Christ's work on the cross that draws us to this place of belief. And now we also live out that same faith. So you, so you walk it out. So you, you believe by faith, but you live by faith. Walking out, living it out amongst everyone here in the world. So today, I, I want to look at what Paul says in the latter part of chapter 4, which begins with a string of practical ways to live in the newness of self. Now again, Paul is speaking, he's still speaking in the same context. So nothing's changed from chapter 1 to chapter 4. This is still the same context. So when he says these imperatives of, of, of how we should act, he's talking about how we should act towards one another and dwell in unity. So, so these practical ways of how we live out the newness of self still deal with how we treat one another. Do not forget that as we walk through this. And see, this is important because as I said a few weeks ago, a lot of us have misunderstood the Christian call, thinking that the Christian life is just about what God can do for me my well-being, and it's private. Hear me, and this might mess you up. Christianity is not about your personal relationship with God. It is not just about your personal relationship with God. Yes, he wants to have a personal relationship with you, but that's not what this thing is about. It's about relationships, 
plural. But sadly, we miss this. We miss this because of our twisted and perverted view of reality. And instead, everything has to revolve around me. So when it comes to our relationship with God, we make our relationship with God about our own benefit. What's good for me? So what we do is we take this Bible and we twist it and we twist the word of God and we open it up trying to figure out a scripture for me. What you got for me today, God? And and I need you to fix my life. It's all about me, God. It's about me. And friends, when you really read the scripture, when you get down to it and you look at Jesus, what he says, the the most important commandment is, is to love God with all your soul, mind, strength, and your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not about me. It's about God and others. It's about relationships. See, this walk is not merely about us. It's not just about us. So with this understanding, it makes, it, it makes sense that these verses right here in the next few chapters, not just right now, but in the next several chapters of Ephesians, deal with how we treat one another. Paul is not telling us to live our lives, telling us how to live this thing just for our benefits, but instead how to treat others. Now hear me, in turn, when you learn how to treat others, it does benefit you. Because here's the thing, y'all look out in society, there's a lot of discouragement, there's a lot of dis- depression, there's a lot of me-centeredness, I made that up, but always revolving around what we want for ourselves or, and, and what's best for me. And here's the thing, the remedy to all of that is to stop thinking about yourself so much and jump into somebody else's mess and help them. Lower the volume on your life and what you need and hire it on, on, on others. See, this is why in verse 25, Paul, Paul, Paul begins with this reminder that we are one body, not Jew and Gentile, but we're one, not white or black, but we're one body. We are to love our neighbor. See, the fact that Paul continually points this out, it lets us know that this is a key distinction here. It's a problem within the people of Ephesus. And sadly, it's the same for us. It's the same for us living in America. I talk about this a lot, but outside, and I have to because we, we go outside and we do the same thing. I mean, outside of Sunday context, our Sunday context, how many times are you in active, genuine community with people that are different than you? I mean, what's your dinner table look like at night? Is it the same people every week? Or is it people that sit at your dinner table that don't agree with you on voting? Who they voted for, they're they're different. They look different than you. They make less money than you or more money than you. Are are you, 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 you experiencing a little bit of discomfort for the good of the gospel? That's what Paul is saying. He's saying live your life self sacrificially to love and serve another person. Not for your good, but for theirs. He's saying suffer for their benefit. So he begins with one specific way in verse 25. He says this. He says, don't lie to each other. Don't lie to each other, but speak the truth to your neighbor. That sounds very simple, but it's hard for us to speak the truth. It's hard for us to love one another. It says, be real, be vulnerable, get into each other's lives. We are one body, one body and need each other. Hear me, family. Hear me with this one. Depression, discouragement, that list I just went through. It's real. Loneliness, it's real. And you know one big reason why it's real? 
It's because true friendship and oneness is non-existent. We don't dwell in community. We're not getting into our lives with each other. We're not, we're just surface. Everybody has this, this fundamental root of sin within them, which is pride. To better oneself, to look better than you actually are, or you're just concerned with just me and revolving around me. And Paul is saying, no. He's saying, no, we're one body. We're one body. You want to better yourself? Okay, well, go look, seek somebody else's benefit. Love someone else and dwell in community. That's what Paul is calling us to do. He, he keeps going in verse 26 and he says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. See, many people read this and I think you misinterpret it a lot of times. We forget that Paul, when we, when we actually look at the scripture, he says, be angry and don't sin. He doesn't say it's wrong to be angry and don't sin. Thus, what he's saying is, it's okay to be angry at times. You should be angry sometimes. God was angry at times. Jesus, sure enough, was angry at times. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't picture Jesus with a smile, cheesing on his face when he's running in the temple, flipping over the money changer tables and throwing everything everywhere and yelling at people. You, could you picture him skipping and, and flipping over tables at the same time? No! My man was mad. I mean, think about it. Let somebody come in your house. I mean, you tell me, because you may be sitting there saying, well, that's sin, Pastor, isn't it? Okay, well, well let me think, think about it for a little bit. Somebody comes in your house, your house, disrespects you, starts using your house as, a, as, a, as gambling, money changers. You got people coming in and through this place that don't respect it. You tell me the last time that was disrespectful. I, I mean, that wasn't disrespectful. You come in my house and you do some stuff like that. You disrespect me in my house. You don't honor me in my house. You better, you better not let that door hit you on the way out. Some of y'all missed that. <laughs> the temple was his father's house. People were using it for gambling, selling stuff. That was a righteous anger. It's much different. There's a difference. And basically, Paul is saying to us, he's saying, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be angry. And if we're made in the image of God, you should be angry sometimes. There should be things in society that happen that anger you. The murder rate, poverty at times, rape. You go on down the list, there's things that you see and you, you get angered about it. But it doesn't cause you to do something crazy to somebody. It, causes you to, it compels you to do something good about it. See, that's a righteous anger. But what is he saying when he says, do not sin? He says, this is what he means. He says, he, says, doesn't, he don't want you to be consumed with anger. That's what he's talking about here. Don't be consumed with anger, which means don't let it drive your actions. It shouldn't absorb all your energy or your attention. We shouldn't dwell in anger. He says, it, it shouldn't even go on to the next day. See, because that's when we start acting out of our anger. We're consumed with anger, and that's sinful. I mean, have you ever met somebody who's just consumed with anger? Every time you see them, they got a frown on their face. They're just upset at the world, mad at everything going on in life, mad at everybody they come in contact. You ever met somebody that was consumed with anger? Some of the most unpleasant people to ever be around. Nobody likes being around somebody that's always angry. 
It's like that kid in school that you, you didn't like that always was fighting people, talking about people's mamas and, and just, always, uh, just always in trouble in the principal's office. You didn't like that person. They always got in trouble. Y'all have a kid like that in your school? I mean, pretty sure all of y'all did. Maybe you didn't, but I did. And, and sometimes it was me sometimes. <laughs> and see, the truth of the matter is that person that's always angry, what's really going on in their hearts is that they're, they're, they're trying to, when they're, when they're being mean to somebody else, they're trying to bring other people down so that it makes them feel better. Whether that's consciously or unconscious, that's what's going on. And thinking things like, let me, let, me, let me hurt this person maybe to help me in my sorrow. Let me be mean to this person, maybe, maybe my anger will go down because I'll laugh a little bit. You can't dwell in anger and be unified with others. It's impossible. Therefore, Paul says Christians should not be consumed or driven by their anger, which is sin, because we can't exemplify Christ being consumed with anger. Can't be filled with the spirit and filled with anger. Paul moves on to verse 28, and I love this verse because he says, let the thief steal no longer, but instead do honest work. What we see here is this stopping and starting the stopping of something negative and then the starting of something positive. He's, he's, he's literally talking about let's not be greedy anymore. Let's not be lazy. Let's not steal from other people. Let's do something honest. Go get you a job. Work for something. Cooperate with other people. And then he says share. So bring other people up because of what you're doing. Now, this may seem very elementary to some of us in here. Stop stealing. Go get you a job pretty simple but Paul right here is really trying to convey something much deeper see this illustration gives us a very clear picture of what we call in Christianity repentance see it, it's the genuine stopping stopping of something negative in your life and turn, you're acknowledging that it's, it's negative it's not something I should be doing and then you turn the other way and you start something positive. It's, the, it, it's stopping this and starting this. So it's not just stopping. You can't just stop here. You got to start something else in place of that. See, it's, it's literally turning the complete opposite way. 180. LeBron likes doing that. Look, 180. It's the complete opposite way. That's repentance. And Paul, just in case you didn't get that, because some of us might still be missing this, he, he says it again in verse 29, just a little differently. Look at it with me. He says, let no corrupt talk or evil speech come out of your mouths, but instead build others up in your talk. You, you see it there? You stop something negative and start something positive. You guys see this principle here, the starting, the stopping and, and starting principle? Now, family, remember this. This is not, hear me when I say this, this is not a do better speech. It's not. It's not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps, go make it happen, get it done, don't do this and do this, stop that and start this. That's not what this is. As a matter of fact, I need to harp on this a bit. I need to talk about this a bit because, and I got to get on my soapbox just for a minute because I feel, and I fear this because I, I feel you all might hear me say, when Paul's walking through this, don't do this and, and do this, don't do that and, and, and do some more of this. You might leave here feeling overwhelmed or feeling the sense of, I got to go do something. I have to go make it happen. And hear me, that is very problematic. 
That's problematic when it comes to Christianity. I was talking with a group of guys this week about this, in which in the fact, this, this whole fact of, I think we, we don't really understand our limitations at times. We're always doing, trying to do more and trying to make it happen. We, we don't understand our limitations, our own reality at times. And what I mean is that sometimes in your life, you can see something that's totally wrong. It's messed up. It needs to change in your life. And you don't like the way it's going. Maybe that's your finances. You know, maybe that's relationships in your life. It might be your job. It might be the, your, your personal appearance. You don't like the way you look. Maybe you've gained too much weight. You don't like any of that. And what happens is the first time when we realize this, there's a change that's needed. What do we do? We try to fix it. We try to fix it. And the thing about trying to fix these things is that if it's been there in your life for a matter of months, maybe a longer period of time, it's not just simply a habit that you can fix on your own. Or else you would have done it already. It may be an addiction. Or just over time, it's become a part of you. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Because if this is true, it's not just a habit. It's not just a habit that in your own, that in your own power, trying to fix it, hear me, y'all, trying to fix it in your own power is futile. It's futile because you're still working with those same broken pieces that left you in this broken place. So if you keep using these broken pieces, these messed up pieces to get you out of this broken place, that's insanity. Because you're doing the same thing over and over and you're not getting a different result. You're going to end up at the same place or even worse. See, what I'm getting at here is that true change, hear me, it, it doesn't just come from you recognizing there is a change that's needed. Because honestly, you won't really know how to change it or understand what really needs to change unless someone else or you come in contact with someone else who helps point out the real change needed and then walks alongside you through the process. Some of y'all missed that. Okay, let me put it this way. I love watching the show 600-pound life. It's, it's weird, but I like watching the show 600-pound life. My wife's like, why do you like watching this show? I turn on late at night. I don't know why. I just watch it. And, and so I started asking myself, why do I like watching this show? And, and y'all, the gospel is all up in this show. Jesus, now follow me with this. It's all up in here. Follow me. Y'all going to follow me. These folks, they're morbidly obese. Most of them are bedridden. They can't walk, take care of themselves. They can't wash, they can't cook, they can't clean. And they may notice there's a change that's needed in their lives, but instead of being able to make the change or help themselves, or they've tried too many times and they've failed at it, what they continue to do in their failure is keep turning to the same thing that got them there in the first place, and what they keep doing is eating and doing nothing. So inevitably, everybody in the show is at the end of their wits. They want this, this surgery, this gastric bypass surgery, and then take some of the fat away too. So they go, watch this, they go see one guy this one surgeon that's willing to take on this high-risk surgery. But he doesn't just do the surgery. 
He doesn't just do the surgery. He helps them truly understand their problem and how they got there, then sets them on a diet plan and, and then exercise it. If they adhere to the plan and lose some weight, he will do the surgery. But if they don't adhere to the plan, it tells him about their heart. It tells them about their willingness to be active in the process. Some of y'all with me, some of y'all not. Because, because, because hear me. If they don't understand the severity of their problem and know they have, that they have to listen to everything the doctor says, realizing that, they're, that they're, they got themselves to this place, they can't work it out on their own. If they don't realize that family, with the surgery or without the surgery, they will end up at the same place or worse. Y'all are still missing this. Because here's the thing. Once your body is trained to eat, and operate a certain way, you can fix your stomach all you want. You can fix your image all you want, but your mind and your heart still might tell you to eat. So the patient has to understand, even with this surgery, they can't do it by themselves. Some of y'all still missing it. See, see, here it is. The best patients are the ones that come in understanding that they are broken that they did this to themselves, they understand they need help because they are fighting a demon within that's much bigger than, than them. They know they can't do it by themselves and will do whatever it takes. They are inevitably saying, I want to stop something negative in my life and I want to start something positive, but I can't do it without with your help, doctor. I can't do it without you. Don't miss this, though, because some of y'all missed that. This is chapter 4 in the book of Ephesians. So Paul has walked slowly through all that God through, did in and through Jesus to save us from the dominion of darkness and lead us into the light. So there's the stoppage. The stoppage. And now Paul is, 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 is leading us through the starting, through that stoppage that Christ already caused. He says, you were dead in your trespasses in chapter 2, verse 4. But God made us alive in Christ Jesus, if you believe. Christian in here, I need you to hear me. Don't get so caught up in the last three chapters of this book. I need y'all to hear me clearly. Don't get so caught up in this. Thinking about what I got to do, what I need to make happen, and, and forget who caused the heart change in your life. And now who's walking alongside you and in you to cause the, the life change. That's a big problem for Christians today. We, 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 we forget that we work from a place of being approved in Jesus already. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus and he says, well done. We forget that. And what happens is we start turning to, to our own strength and, and our own will and our own intellect to try to make things happen. And we keep doing all this, leaving Jesus in the background. And then we end up in this dark place and all of this mess. And like, how in the world did we get here? You ever been there before? And see, the reason that happens is that somewhere along the way, we stop turning to God and we start turning to me. And we're just like those folks on the 600-pound life that get the surgery. They do good for a while. Then they start feeling themselves. And they end up worse than where they started. And hear me, because here's the kicker. That doesn't negate the fact that they had the surgery. Or that you are saved. In other words, 
It doesn't negate the fact that you're saved because you live one way. It's because it's because you didn't listen to the doctor. You didn't listen to the doctor or Jesus, and now you're living or looking a certain way as if you didn't have the surgery or saved at all. You get where I'm going with this? See, hear me, hear me. I need y'all to hear me very clearly. I am failing you as a pastor. If you leave here on Sunday mornings being motivated by anything other than God's goodness in your life to change your life. Let me say it again. I am failing you as a pastor. If you leave here on Sunday mornings being motivated by anything other than the love of God through Jesus Christ to see your life changed. This is why I'm harping on this. As we walk through this, these practical, practical ways of living our lives, it's not up to you in your hands. True life change from, comes from being motivated by the love of God and what he's done on our behalf. Now, in light of that, let me get back to the text and off my soapbox. See, see, see Paul, this all goes together. Paul is saying, in light of God's love, stop corrupt, the corrupt talk. Start building someone else up. Now, this corrupt talk can be translated as bad fruit or rotten fruit. And if you think about it, fruit is supposed to build the immune system in the body. It's supposed to build you up. It's supposed to make you healthy. You guys know the adage. If you, if you, if you eat an apple a day, you keep the doctor away. But if you eat a rotten apple, I can't imagine what it would do. I mean, you eat one fresh apple and you're already on the toilet later in the day. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you eat a rotten apple, I can't imagine what your stomach's about to go through. It's okay to laugh. You see, the point is, let only wholesome talk come out of your mouth, out of the believer's mouth. Let, let wholesome talk come out that builds up the body. Stop tearing each other down with our words, being envious and competitive, conniving. Build each other up. Paul moves on. He says in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit who has sealed you for the day of redemption. Again, believers are sealed until we get to heaven. So this is not saying you can lose your salvation, but instead it's saying that the Spirit of God, the third person in the Trinity is, is with you. He's living in you. He's with you until you get to heaven. But hear me, he's saddened when you continue to sin. This is what it means to, to say, do not grieve the spirit. Which is kind of mind boggling to me. It messes me up when I read passages like this because I sit there and I think and I say to myself, God, why would you even take the time to be sad with me when you know I'm going to keep on sinning? Why not get rid of me? Why not just wipe us all out if you know that's what we're going to do? And when I keep reading the scriptures, it really speaks to the long-suffering love of God that covers sins through Jesus' death, which again lets me know that salvation is not based up to me and what I do, but instead what he did for me. See, this is partly where conviction, like I talked about before, comes in. Now as a believer, a true believer, it's hard when, you, when you're really living a life according to this text. It's hard to live a life just continually sinning because now you're living your faith out, which means that you're conscious of your sin and your mess. Hear me, here it is. The more we are consumed, 
with Christ, the less we are consumed with sin. The more we read this Bible right here, the less infatuated we are with ourselves and the more we fall in love with God. He says, do not grieve the spirit who has sealed you. As Paul ends, we must not miss what he says in verse 31 and 32. He says, put away bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander, and all malice in verse 31. But then in verse 32, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And here's what we must not miss. I've been harping on it all morning. Because as I said before, the problem for Christians, you and me, is that we read this text, text like this, and we see this list, and we see do's and don'ts. And that's what we try to do. And that is not the Christian walk. This verse lets us know we do all these things tenderheartedly, forgiving one another, not because we just woke up one day and said, man, I feel good. I want to forgive everybody. I'm happy-go-lucky, skip the baloo. It's all about Jesus today. No, 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 no. We live the way that Paul is talking us. We're making these changes in our lives, not because we just want to, but because Christ did it for us first. We live in light of his sacrifice. We're motivated by the love of God displayed through Jesus Christ. Tony said it best last week. He said it real, real well. He said, a real love encounter with someone else changes us. A real love encounter with someone else changes us. We're motivated to live the way Paul is saying because of the loving kindness of Jesus Christ displayed towards us. So let me end with this. Look with me at what Paul says in Philippians 2. I just want you to meditate on this scripture as I read it. Just, just pay attention to the words. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, watch this, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Hear me, family. We as Christians are to live differently and changed, not because of selfish ambition or conceit, but because Christ first gave up everything to save us. So I'm going to end the same way I started today. Understanding the way to live a changed life as a Christian is very simple. I didn't say living this life is simple because you're going to have trials, you're going to have tribulations, you're going to have problems that occur in your life. But understanding how to live is simple. We live our lives to the fullest and changed just like those NBA players do because we live in light of someone else's sacrifice. And that someone else for Christians is Jesus. Jesus. Amen. Let's pray.